0: Okay, while you're sitting down and wrapping up Passing the piece, I want you to reach over your back and kind of pat yourself a couple of times. Some of you, that's really hard to do. You need to stretch more before you come to church. We don't often talk about missions at Gateway, and I think a pat on the back is well-deserved. Last year, 2013, let me back up, one of my responsibilities as associate pastor is missions, and missions is that area of ministry that's sort of beyond the local church, beyond the boundaries of our local church family. This is kind of the external stuff that we do. So we budget, last year, 2013, I think it was around $40,000 out of a $600,000 budget that went to missions. But on top of that, that's money that goes regularly to people like Ina and her ministry, or like Jack and Sherry, just try to help them undergird Financially, their needs. Then there was probably another ninety dollars to $100,000 that more than 50 people from Gateway spent on mission trips. They invested and raised money to go and do hands-on ministry in other places, from Philadelphia and West Virginia to Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and Zambia. There was one week in the summer of 2013 that I had 25, I think it was almost 30 people from Gateway that were in foreign countries. So that's more than 10% of our Sunday morning attendance, and that was teenagers and adults that were serving. You guys do a great job, and it's awesome to be a part of a church that gets missions. So we want to pat ourselves on the back, but we don't want to be content. I think we always want, and, and my challenge this morning is for us to be more in tune with God and to be thinking about, okay, so what's next? How can I be more involved in the mission that you've called us to do? Okay, we're in a series called Missional Living. And the idea with missional living is everyday, normal, typical Christ followers who leverage their resources, their talents, their passions, and their opportunities to help other people find out who Jesus is and how much he loves them. And last week we talked about Christ's example and how that's really the blueprint that we want to follow this morning. I want to talk to you about why Missions matters. Why don't we just focus on us? Why don't we focus on the local church? Why do we care about what's going on in other parts of the country? We're messed up enough, really, if you're honest, and we look around. We need a lot of help as is. So why do missions really matter? And we want to look at two passages that kind of parallel each other. These are both taken from the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Read this with me. This is from Matthew 28 the very last thing that Jesus says to his disciples. And let's read it out loud together. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, now keep that in mind and let's press on and read this passage from the first chapter of Acts. So this is not Matthew's biography, but Luke writing about Jesus' life in the early church. Same time frame, the very end of Jesus' life starting with verse 6 in Acts chapter 1. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. If you could look at those two passages side by side, you would see some parallels to them. The first one out of Matthew was just Jesus to the 11 remaining disciples. The passage in Acts was to a much larger group. I think it's interesting in the first passage, some of those 11 who had been with Jesus and had seen him resurrected, they struggled with doubt. And in the Acts passage, the larger group of disciples, they say, hey, is this the time when you're going to restore Israel to power and we're going like, to kick the Romans out and your political and geographical kingdom is going to be here on earth and, and we're going to return to the glory days? They still didn't understand that Jesus was here to introduce a spiritual kingdom. And I think you know, there are many of us today that struggle with doubt, we may not understand all the ins and outs of Christ's kingdom. And God would say to us, just like he said to them, look, I am inviting you to participate in my mission to reach the world. I don't care if you struggle. I don't, I don't care if you have it all figured out. Take what you do understand, put what faith you do have into practice, and help me in this mission. And so that's the idea of missional living. I want to pray for us this morning, pray for Ed, pray for Kevin. He is preaching at his church. Home church, the church he grew up in. Let's pray. God, we don't have much time this morning, so I pray that you'd help me to zero in on the things that are really important. Be with Ed. Help him as he leads the high school class. Be with Kevin and speak through him today. May we be blessed and challenged by the truth that comes out of your word. Amen. All right. so why missions matters, I I would say it matters for several reasons, three angles that I want us to look at this morning that will help us figure that out. The first one is geography. So in the Matthew passage, Jesus says, you're going to go to all nations. But in Acts, he gives some very specific names. And so if you look at the map, these names may not mean a lot to us, but in the very center, just a little to the right, is Jerusalem, which is where the first century church began. So they start in Jerusalem, and they said, you're going to go to all Judea, which you see is the region kind of on the left center side. Judea was the entire region, so it would be like starting in south riding and then extending through northern Virginia. So Judea is the region, and then up at the top is Samaria, which was like the next neighboring region, and then to the very ends of the earth. So we read through that passage and it's like, oh, you're going to be my witnesses here and some other places and we kind of just blow by it. But what he's saying, it's almost like concentric circles. I want you to start where you are and then I want you to share the message with the people that are in your region and beyond that and then to the very ends of the earth. This is kind of how we do missions at Gateway. So we have local stuff. We help Good Shepherd Alliance. And we're going to be doing a partnership with the new Dulla South Food Pantry in the spring. Those are local places that meet local needs. But we also are involved in West Virginia. And Philadelphia is where the youth typically go for mission camp. And then beyond that, we go to Guatemala or Haiti or the Dominican Republic or Zambia. So we've got things that are close in and things that are far away. And I think God has in mind for us in the years to come places that are even farther out for us farther out of our comfort zone, that are culturally a farther reach. But I'm looking forward to that. Now, uh, that phrase, of all nations, in Matthew, where he says you're going to make disciples of all nations, is the Greek word ethnos, which kind of sounds like ethnicity, and it's really talking about people groups. And we don't think that Jesus was thinking about countries with geographical borders when he says, take it to all the nations, he wasn't anticipating necessarily what the geography then would look like or the geography now. I think he was talking about people groups, different cultures, because in his day, as in ours, there were lots of people from different cultures and ethnicities that lived in the same geographical country. And so if that's true, then we need to broaden our perspective a little bit and realize that Jesus is calling us not just to all nations, but to all kinds of people. And we don't necessarily have to go to another country to find all kinds of people. God is bringing them to us here in northern Virginia. And interestingly enough, there's also kind of a spiritual implication here. Jerusalem was the center of Jewish life. And Christ came for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles, the people that didn't grow up knowing God, that didn't have a religious background. But then the Jews were scattered around Judea. Then he says, and in Samaria, and the Samaritans were kind of half-breeds. They were half-Jewish. They were Jewish people that had intermarried with other cultures and sort of drawn in other aspects, other religions, and so they weren't as closely related to Jesus as the Jews were, but they were a lot more closely related than the rest of the world, the Roman Empire, the Greeks, the people who worshiped other gods. And so spiritually speaking, God is saying there are some people that are going to be very close to you in their spiritual background, their cultural background, so you start with them, but you don't stop there. And you need to be willing to cross cultural boundaries like language and education and traditions and religious background, and I want you to reach over that, and I want you to share my message with the world. So geography says missions matters because the whole world belongs to God, and he cares about every person, every nation, every people group, and he wants us to take his message to them. Now, another angle that I want us to think about this morning is grammar. And I apologize for bringing grammar up on a Sunday morning. That sounds like a really mean thing to do, but it will help us get an angle on missions. And just to let you know that grammar isn't always boring, did you know that there are grammar jokes? Thanks to the miracle of the internet, I know there are grammar jokes. So, what's another name for Santa's elves? Subordinate clauses. Okay. Okay. So sometimes if we drill down to the grammar of a passage, it helps us understand it. So in the Acts passage, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses starting here and taking it to the ends of the earth. In the Matthew passage, Jesus says, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So grammatically, the idea is this, make disciples. That is the one imperative, an imperative, sorry guys, I am not anybody who knows grammar. I'm just, I read this and I'm hoping it doesn't leak out of my brain before the sermon is over. But an imperative is like a command, okay? That's the part of speech where there's an instruction or command. So there's one command, make disciples. And then there are three participles. Participles we think of as ing words, they start out as verbs, but they become modifiers. And so they're modifying, make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching. So when you diagram that center, if, you, if we had an English teacher in here, she would help us or they would help us understand the one imperative and the three participles. The problem with that, well, let me, let me back up. So the go shows up in the verse before make disciples. Uh, that's just the way that it's written, but it's still going, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. And so the idea here is there's some going, And there is some baptizing, which is the outward ceremony that lets people know you've made an inward commitment to Christ. So we've got people going. We've got people who are responding to the message of Christ and making that commitment. But then you're teaching them. And he says, teach them everything that I've taught you so that they become fully formed people. A lot of times the church has focused on getting people to cross the line of faith but not really done a very good job of helping them grow into fully formed Christ followers who then can model it for other people. So this process is about making disciples. And so most translations read, go, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And churches and religious organizations have focused a lot of thought and effort on the go part of that, which is a good thing. So we pray for people to feel a call to missions and we send them out and we support them hopefully and we go and visit them, we go on mission trips and that's awesome. But the problem with that mindset is that those of us that are here in the church, we start to think of that and say, well, clearly God didn't call me to go because I'm sitting here. And if the go doesn't apply to me, then maybe the baptizing and the teaching doesn't apply to me. Maybe the way that we do this is we send some other people out. So I'm just not one of the goers. You know, I'm kind of one of those sitters. I'm one of the stayers. I'm one of the do-nothingers. And I'll pray for them and I'll help support them, but they're the ones that go and do that work. But Jesus wasn't just talking to his closest followers here. He was talking to his church. And the responsibility to go and to baptize and to teach, that belongs to all of us. In fact, there are some scholars who would argue that the more appropriate way to translate this verse would be going, or as you go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. Now to me, this speaks because I am going, and you guys are going a lot. I mean, we're always going someplace. And what he's saying would be, wherever it is you're going, while you're going, here's the bottom line. Don't worry about where you're going or or how you're getting there. That's really the peripheral point. The main thing, the mission that I have given you as my people is to make disciples. So wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you're supposed to be making disciples, helping people begin a relationship with Christ and grow until they're fully formed followers. And interestingly, that parallels what Jesus said in Matthew 10.7, where he sent his disciples out the first time to preach to the Jews. So Matthew 10.7, Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven comes near. So that idea, regardless of which way you translate it, is there's some going, and the going is supposed to be us. And there's some baptizing That's supposed to be us, helping people begin a relationship with Christ. And the teaching, that's supposed to be us, modeling it and encouraging and coming alongside people who walk with Christ. And the bottom line is we're all supposed to be engaged in this making of disciples. We may not go to another country, but we're still challenged to make disciples. Parents, I think one of the most important things you could do for your children if you want them to be fully formed spiritually is to go on a foreign mission trip with them. I have been on mission trips where there were kids that were six or eight years old. And in West Virginia, I I know you probably don't encourage it, but I was on a mission trip where the six or seven-year-old, they ended up playing with West Virginia kids whose home we were working on. And it was like, what a cool picture that even a kid who's six or seven understands this life-on-life, person-to-person, incarnational kind of ministry. That's what God calls us to do and to be. And I had the privilege of seeing each of my children as teenagers on a couple of different occasions on mission trips. And it was cool as a parent to see God using them, but I think they would also look back and say to them, those were some of the most meaningful spiritual experiences they've ever had in their life. For me, when I'm on mission trips, it helps me see God at work. It helps me to tune in and hear him better. When I'm not Surrounded by all of the chaos that I incorporate into my life. You know, carrying a, a cell phone 24 7, looking at my watch. When we used to go to Nicaragua, the people there would say, Just take off your watch. <laughs> Nobody pays attention to that. That's make believe time. That's not real life. And, and when you begin to slow down and you see God at work, it begins to kind of like tune you in better to God. And I find. When I get back from mission trips, I'm far more missional-minded. I think the going is something that I would challenge everyone here to be more involved in. One last angle I want to touch on this morning is strategy. Because thinking about strategy will help us better understand the importance of missions. Now, I will be the first to admit, over the last couple of thousands of years, the church has used some flawed strategies when it comes to missions. But on the other hand, one of the things I appreciate about our mission partners here at Gateway is that they use a variety of approaches to meet the needs of the people they're trying to serve. So with Hope Force, they go in right after disaster when people are just crushed and hope is gone and they need somebody to be there to not only stand beside them and talk to them and listen to them, but to help them just clean up the chaos. That's awesome. And a lot of times, much of of Hope Force's work is people coming and going very quickly. It's not long-term relationship. And yet, in West Virginia, where there's a community that is stuck in chronic poverty, it's all about the long-term relationship. Or last week, we talked with Ina York, and I love this picture. Some of you might recognize the Fall family there. Ina has just invested her life in this little tiny village, and she's allowed us and invited us to come and serve with Vacation Bible School and sports camps and hanging out with the kids. And that serves that village, but it also grows us. Next week, you'll hear about a little different approach that's taken by Every Orphan's Hope. Gary Schneider is going to be with us. And then the week after that, we want to talk to you about Krista Eagle. Many of you guys know uh, Tim and Terry's daughter, who is a campus minister. And then also Glenn Pruitt who is a Bible translator with Wycliffe. So each of these people has a different approach, a different strategy, because they're tackling a different piece of the mission's puzzle. But overall, the mission is the same, to make disciples, to spread the word, to help all kinds of people in all kinds of places understand how much God loves them and how much that love can make a difference in their lives. But most importantly, God's strategy for missions. God's strategy is to use us. Not somebody else who goes, it's to use us. And every one of us in here today is called to be a part of that. In Acts one eight, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. For the very first time in my life, I got called up for jury duty this week. I've never had that privilege, that civic contribution. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. But in a lot of trials, there are witnesses, and witnesses are just people that tell what they've seen or what they've heard or what they've experienced. An expert witness, that's somebody different. They weren't actually there. They're analyzing it after the fact. But a witness is somebody who gives an authentic, credible account of what they've seen, what they've experienced, or what they've heard. God doesn't ask us all to be experts in theology. He doesn't ask us to operate free of doubts or questions about our faith. He doesn't ask us to have everything figured out about the Bible but he does expect each of us to be his witnesses and to talk about how he's changing us from the inside out, how he's working in us, because that's what allows other people to see him in the world today. I don't know if any of you guys heard this story about Shubham Banerjee. He is a 13-year-old California kid. He's the youngest kid to ever have venture capital funding. Intel is investing a couple hundred grand in his science fair project. Kind of impressive, right? He's a Lego addict, and so he used Mindstorm Robotics parts, plus some stuff he picked up at Home Depot, and he constructed a Braille printer for blind people that can be produced for 80% less than what's on the market right now. 80% less. Think about if somebody can make iPhones for 80% less. I mean, that would blow up the market. And so he didn't see this as his career, He was interviewed about this Is like, so is you going to start a company? It's like, nah. this is just like an after-school thing. I mean, you know, I'm going to be a pilot or, you know, whatever. I I don't know what he wants to do. This is not his ambition in life. This is just him kind of like brainstorming and filling in his free time. Now, I think it's awesome. In fact, the kids in the youth group want me to point out that this is a brilliant 13-year-old, and some of the best ideas in the world come from 13-year-olds. But this guy came up with an awesome idea that will change the world for some blind people. It's going to make uh, Braille and reading and communicating available to a whole population of blind people that could not afford $2,000 or $2,500 for a Braille printer. But if this is what creativity and daydreaming can lead to for a kid who likes Legos, think about the impact that we could have for the kingdom of God. I mean, physical blindness, that's terrible. I wear glasses. I've had laser surgery. Ed had problems with his contacts this morning. It's a pain in the neck if you've got eyesight, but it's just not perfect, you know? So think about how terrible it would be to be blind. So awesome that he's come up with a way to help blind people. This innovation will improve the quality of life for a lot of people. But I would argue that spiritual blindness is far more prevalent and far more devastating And in order for God's people to accomplish God's mission of bringing his hope and light to the world, every one of us has to be fully engaged, bringing our creativity, our daydreaming, our thoughts, our talents, our experience, our relationships. We all have to focus that on the mission that God has given us. You may not speak a foreign language, but you could take a meal to your next-door neighbor. They may not know the words you're saying, but they will get the actions. For me, I feel like God has been trying to cultivate in me a heart for people that are not like me. I've got to be honest. I like middle-aged people from America. I feel very comfortable. If they're shorter and dumpier looking than me, I'm really comfortable. you know. If they have less hair, if they have more gray, I really like hanging out with them because I look young by comparison. When I go out to Winchester and visit my mom at her retirement community, everybody thinks like, gosh, that guy looks, he doesn't look any older than like 55 or something. He's awesome. because you have to be 70 to live there. I don't tell them I'm just visiting. They just, I got a lot of little old ladies that shuffle behind me thinking I'm the, the hot new guy at the retirement <laughs> community. So I don't like hanging out with people that are different. It's kind of out of my comfort zone. But God has been saying to me, I want to change your heart. And I had a I prayed a lot when we were in California and in San Francisco because I'm not a city guy. And when I go to Nashville where Abby lives, I'm not a piercings guy. I don't have any tats or metal pieces sticking out of my head. And it just, you know, it kind of feels weird to me. But God doesn't want me to feel weird. He wants me to look at people and look below the surface and see the need. He wants me to look with eyes that are like his and see his heart for all kinds of people all over the world who don't know him and who are desperate. And they don't even have a clue how desperate they are. So I want us to close in prayer, and I want to ask you to bow your head. And I want you to take just a moment to talk to God and also to listen to God. And I want you to ask him not, hey God, do you want me to be involved in missions? I want you to ask him, God, how? Do you want me to be involved in missions? What's the next step for me? What do you want me to do? Let's just take a moment and listen for his voice. Father, would you please give us eyes to see all of the brokenness in the world around us? We look around and we see, in Northern Virginia anyway, mostly people who are comfortable. But help us to look below the surface and see their need for you. Help us not to be blind to the people in other parts of the world, other parts of our own state who have very real needs that you expect us to meet. Give us hearts that break as your heart does. Give us hands and feet willing to get into the action, willing to get dirty to accomplish your mission in the world. Burn in us like a fire. For the sake of your worth. And as we hear your voice, may we say yes and respond in whatever way you prompt us to. We want to be useful to you in accomplishing your mission. We pray that you would make us that way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me give you two or three things here, just some very practical. Challenges that when it comes to missions, we need some mission champions at Gateway We need some new people who would be willing to step up into leadership and help us plan for trips We need planners and organizers and administrators that maybe don't even go on the trip But they like tracking down plane reservations and and making arrangements to get groups of people other places and stay together We need organizers Maybe you're in business or you're good with money, or God has just blessed you. Or maybe God's going to bless you in the next couple of weeks, and you would say, hey, God, if you bless me unexpectedly financially, I'm going to make that useful to you. I'm going to go up to Alex and say, hey, here's a check for $500 for missions. Where can we use that? Some of you guys could take care of this need this morning. Jack and Svia, who are the couple that Hope Force has in West Virginia that are living there and serving in that community, you know what they want for Christmas? They want a braided rug. It'll cost about $250 from J.C. JCPenney's, and, and somebody here this morning could write a check and cover that. And it would be a huge blessing to them, just a reminder that there are people in their family, spiritually, they've never met, but who care about them and who want to meet their needs. I was talking to Ina this week. She needs bathroom builders. She needs some guys probably, although I think women can build bathrooms, who would raise 2500 bucks, go down to Circa Dio and build a bathroom that will serve four families. It will give them a place, kind of like a privy, to use the bathroom. And it will also give them a place to take sponge baths out of a bucket. Four families will share that same little place. But that's way better than what they do now. So anybody feels called to be a bathroom builder, let me know. Because Ina would love to see you. So many needs like that. We're about a third of the way there on the West Virginia project, but we want to do more than that. We want to take care of the people there, but I can guarantee you there are kids at Mercer who are going to be hurting this Christmas, and it would be cool if we could step in and say, hey, here are $25 gift cards. Here's one to a department store. Here's one to a grocery store so this family could have food. We're going to get calls from people in the next six weeks who are out of work or homeless and they need some way to. Give something to their kids. And it would be awesome to have a, an envelope full of gift cards because somebody here felt like God was saying, fix it. That's a need. It's your mission. You take care of it. So let's be responsive to God. Okay, you are dismissed. Have a great week.